The world of story has captivated humanity since the dawn of time. The oldest known form of communication, verbal storytelling is responsible for the continuity and development of civilization from its most primitive moments to its most advanced. Story involves a sense of mystical wonder, but is also a powerful medium for communicating real and concrete ideas that shape people's lives and make them take action. Steve Schramm, marketer, nonfiction writer, and story nerd, and Alex Jagir, fiction writer, wannabe game designer, and story nerd, join forces as worlds collide to discuss how story is the most powerful concept ever known and how it interacts with each and every aspect of our lives, from the most magical to the most mundane. All right, I'm here uh, with Alex Jagir for another episode of Story World. How's it going, man? It's going well, and... You pronounce my name correctly every single time. You don't mess up on it. So very proud of you, Steve. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I mean, I have a weird last name, and so I feel solidarity with my brethren who also have freaking weird last names, and so I want to make sure that we get it right. Absolutely. No offense, of course. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm really excited about this week's episode, and I have to admit, at first I wasn't because I was like, oh man. Like, this was Alex's to- suggested topic, and I was like, oh, I don't really know. Like, I come from storytelling from a marketing perspective, and so I'm like, how do I? Like, I don't, I don't know necessarily who, who would be good to say because, like, I, I don't feel like I was very influenced by stories. Well, what's the topic this week, Steve? That I guess I should say that. <laughs> it's storytellers who influenced us the most. Yes. And uh, and so I, I am excited about it now, though, as I started to actually outline some of these things, memories were coming back to me. And I'm, now I'm really excited to dive into it. Uh, I think it's going to be cool. So, yeah, abs- absolutely. Um, it's funny. This is what, another one of those things where I, we kind of skipped over the last few weeks. Never really was got excited about looking at it until last week when we were putting together. I I saw the title. And I just thought it'd be really fun for us to tackle it and see who's influenced us and how people in our lives who have told us stories or people that we've read from have uh, shown us how to kind of express ourselves more and just kind of see where it takes us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, speaking of that, so we have a long list of stuff to cover today. And um, last week's episode was... um, That was good. I feel, yeah, it was good. It was good, but I feel like we rambled a little bit in the beginning. So I'm going to try to dive right in and we're just going to see where the conversation goes. So... so, so the first storyteller who influenced me the most was actually my mom. And it's so crazy because I, this is, again, I kind of took it for granted in a sense, right? It's like, I didn't really think about this, at least not consciously, um, until you sort of forced me by choosing this topic to think of people who influenced me. And I remembered that uh, actually, so I, I did, I don't know if I should like admit this or not, but I, I slept in the bed with my mom as an only child, right? So I slept in the bed with my mom for like, I think a lot longer than most kids. Don't tell uh, us, Steve. Don't tell us. I did. You know, I just, I, I did, right? I was, uh, I was a mama's boy. Uh, you know, my dad wasn't, uh, he was in the picture on the weekends and stuff until he passed away. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, right. So I was an only child and I spent a lot of time uh only child with a single parent and, and so i spent a lot of time there and, and i yeah i typically like to lay down with her and so every night before bed um there were different stories that we would read we would we would read a little bit of the uh the boxcar children mm-hmm. um i feel like we would do maybe a little bit of the Anne and green Anne of green gables type of thing at that maybe i'm remembering maybe it's something different maybe it's not mm-hmm. that um but that sounds familiar and then there was a book um 
oh man, you know, it's it's actually she brought it to the house recently, and it's it's right down there, but the covers tore off, and I don't want to leave leave the, the shot here to go get it. But it was this really thick storybook called the Bedtime Anytime Storybook, and there was a bear in the book. He's like the main character I remember. And one of my favorite little stories from within the book is the 18 apple, green apple, stomachache. I, I will just remember it. Just one of those things. I don't remember a single <laughs> other story in the book. I mean, maybe I would if I was looking at it and, you know, bring back those memories yeah. or, or whatever. Right. But, but thinking about it now, it's like those are some deeply instilled memories that I can remember. So I do. I, I remember my mom telling me stories, um, usually at bedtime. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes we would probably do Bible stories and stuff. I mean, I did, you know, I grew up in a Christian school, went to church, we were in Awana and all of that. And so I, I did have plenty of that, uh, even outside of the home. So, um, boxcar children though was, was kind of a Christian themed thing. And so, yeah, um, that was sort of like my, uh, I, I guess you, I guess you could say my earliest memory of storytelling and and also in terms of somebody being that close to me um would would have been my mom so uh yeah she was definitely one of my heroes there were just yeah it was just epic bedtime stories I re almost every night now i remember and it was one of my favorite things i mean we didn't have a lot of the things we have today i mean there was a tv in the room but it was really old and it probably only had three channels you know growing up early 90s and whatever yeah um, oh man yeah. Yeah. So, so I would have to say that that's, that's, um, one of the storytellers that influenced me the most was, uh, my mom. Now, do you and your mom still, um, talk about, uh, stories or do you guys read the same books or I guess it has that kind of relationship still mm -hmm. like that aspect of it still kind of stuck or is it mostly a child influencing thing that? Yeah. Well, that's a really, that's a really good question. I think I would say a couple things to that. We do still sometimes talk about like, like sometimes almost jokingly or whatever, she'll like refer back to that one story, the 18 apple yeah, green apple yeah, stuff, as yeah. being like a, you know, that's like a really just solidified memory. I don't know that, that, that we have. Um, of course we'll share stories just like any, any family would. Oh, yeah. This right. time we went to Disney here or we went to Alaska here or, you know, stories of vacations and cool things like that growing up. Um, uh, and then the, I guess the final thing I'd say in response to that is I guess we still talk about stories, but in a different way. We talk about books, and so it's it's changed, right? So I introduced her to this would have been in probably 2017. I convinced her to check out Dave Ramsey. She was initially very very resistant. If you don't know, Dave Ramsey is a financial uh, guru. Um, obviously, not solely to a, a you know Christian conservative audience or whatever, but certainly that's where he's known. He's like the number three largest privately owned radio station or whatever, and probably number two now since uh, Rush Limbaugh died. Mm. Um, but, um, but, but anyway, so, so pretty well known in the uh, personal finance uh, space. And I convinced mom to check that out. And so she has always been a reader, um, but I've known her mostly for being a nonfiction reader, Karen gotcha. Kingsbury, people yeah, like gotcha. that. Um, and so, I mean, I, she did, I know she did like some chicken soup for the soul and, and some other, she did read some other things, but I really, I guess, took notice of her getting into reading after I introduced her to Dave Ramsey. And so Dave Ramsey has like a whole speaking team. They call them Ramsey personalities. And so she buys all of their books whenever they come out. Nice. Sometimes she'll share the Kindle version with me. And so we, we sort of have that. Like she'll, she'll read things that are sort of in that same vein, even if it's not like, like she'll read business books 
from yeah. Dave's people just because they're Dave's people. It yeah. doesn't even matter that, that she's, that you know, matter. or whatever, you know? And um, just because of sharing those ideas. And of course, since I do business and I'm a fan of, of a lot of Dave's um, speaking team and everything as well, we sort of have that in common. So that that aspect of the relationship has changed over the years, but it is still there in some regard. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. Your, uh, your first person was your mother and uh, mine is my dad. So, um, falling in line with the family there. Uh, so I guess with my dad, there's kind of two aspects. One is the kind of the non-fictional real life stories that my dad tells. Um, my dad and I, and pretty much everyone in my family, we just love stories and we can tell stories. And I, I know a lot of people like this too, just over and over and over and over again. I think one thing that, um, was really kind of unique to me is just with how my whole family dynamic is, um, I have a lot of half siblings that are um, quite a few years older than me. And so, um, especially um, my, my brothers. And so I never grew up with them and same with a lot of my uncles and older cousins. And so I had to rely kind of on my dad to tell me stories about other family members that were either older or had passed away or didn't live in the area anymore. And so uh, my dad telling me stories about um, things that happened is mostly funny stories that involve um, camping or fishing or other situations. And it's funny because my life is kind of boring, but it seems like that my dad was always a part of stuff that was just so exciting and fun and funny. And so, um, yeah, and he always would take his time with it and he would always set it up and describe everything and how the people were. And I feel like that a lot of the people in my family who I didn't even meet or know at the time um, for whatever reasons that I kind of knew how they were a little bit and just beginning an insight into my dad. And so, um, and it's still one of my favorite things to do. I'll think of a story and I'll ask him to tell it because I want to hear it from him again, even though I know how the story goes, I want to be able to hear it from him. Um, and there was one time, uh, I must've been around 12 or so. And my dad told me, a, uh, a pretty serious story, nothing that happened to him, but something that, um, that he kind of saw and was a part of, um, just kind of from the outside. And he, he's told me a couple stories like that. Um, in it, I, I remember, um, just kind of, in a lot of ways, my dad thought that he could help in certain situations and he was just a kid when some things went on. And I, I just remember like, it felt like that a my dad carried on like a weight on his shoulder from some of these things that he saw and went through. And he communicated that just so clearly with me. And so a lot of those stories, it almost feels like that I went through those too, because I can feel how he probably felt going through those. And so I think I kind of took for granted how good of a storyteller my dad was being able to tell me a lot of those things. And so how, how if, I, if I, if I may, how old yeah. were you when he was telling you those kinds of stories? Um, probably starting at like 12 or 13. And I would say okay. it was a mix of, I think he wanted to teach me a lot of life lessons. Like he never sat me down and said, okay, um, you know, here's something I want to teach you. We would use, it was right. your car and we'd be driving and he'd say, I have a story that I haven't told you yet. And usually he'd finish talking and it'd be really quiet for a while. And then we just kind of go on to something else. But now that I'm a dad and older and kind of understand it, I know why he kind of told me those stories. I think a lot of reasons, one, to to just share it with someone and to talk to me. And then 
just having a son and seeing your son grow up and you want him to learn things. And so, um, my dad was someone who made quite a bit of mistakes in his life early on. And fortunately I got a really good side of my dad. Um, it, he's been a great man in my life and just, you know, really taught me a lot. And it was a lot of it through stories. Um, and so that was a huge influence on just me and being under, just understanding that, um, from him. But then on the uh, fictional side of things, um, I, I kind of have to have a shout out for my stepdad too, because he introduced me to Lord of the Rings. Um, but from really digging into the story side, um, my my dad, he, uh, man, he was just so passionate about the Thomas Covenant series. And he, when he gave me, he gave me the book set when I was about eight years old or so. And he, he told me it was a nice book set. So I think that's why he got it for me. And he said, I actually, where is it? I'm going to hold it up. Sure. So this is, I got this when I was like eight. So this is like over 20 years old now. Um, but it's got the maps on it and everything. And I was just so excited about it that he got me that nice set. But anyway, he said, Hey, you're probably a little bit too young to read it. So just wait a little while, but I was so anxious to read it. So I think I opened it up and read it when I was 10 or 11. And it was way too advanced for me, but I still enjoyed it. The simple things I got from it. And I've read that book series like two or three times since, and I'll probably read it again soon. But I, my dad just had such a passion for talking about it. And to the point where, um, like it, it was, it became like real to both of us. And we would discuss the characters in the book and, um, and just the writing and how like realistic the land was. and. So we spent, I, I can't, I don't know how many hours we spent just talking about how much that influenced my dad and, um, and just seeing the passion that he had for something that isn't even real. It's a fictional series, but we shared that together. And so, yeah, I think on both of those fronts, I'd have to, that's kind of the few reasons why I list my dad as my number one influence on what kind of influenced me of how I see human emotion, storytelling, and what I want to communicate when I tell those stories. Yeah, that's actually so. So maybe we expand upon that just a little bit because that's what I wanted to ask you. Like, is like, can you draw a straight line or even a squiggly line of like of where that influence shows up practically? You know, in other words, did it desire or did it influence your desire to tell the stories in a specific way? Did it influence how you tell the stories? I'm just curious if there's like a, you know a line you can draw to connect those dots, or if it's a little bit more amorphous than that. So um, the main thing is human emotion in human connection. And I know that that's kind of a typical, yeah, you want your humans to be real in books and you want them to be realistic. Everyone agrees with that. Um, I, for me, and I, it kind of goes into my other influencers too, for how they wrote. But for me, when I either am writing or thinking of a scene or like work on my video game and trying to capture a moment, and you'll kind of see it through my other points as well. It follows the theme of how do you feel in this moment and why do you feel that way? And what, what connection are you trying to make with the person, either reading what you wrote or playing what you created in the video game? And so it's that moment to moment, how are you feeling right now as a human? And like, are you feeling sad? Are you meant to feel sad here? And are you happy? And so I think that's kind of how it's translated to me. And then of course, obviously the most important thing side is just, it just bonded with my dad too. So even aside from the whole influenced me of how I think about yeah. stories. It was just great just to be able to experience that those close moments of my dad. 
For sure. And I, you know, I was just thinking like, oh man, how would I answer that same question? <laughs> yeah. um, and I think that that's what I would say. It's, 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 there's something to be said for, you know, there's something intrinsically important about story for the sake of story. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Right. I, it, it, you know, that's one reason why we do this podcast, right? Because story itself is something important. So just for memory's sake. And, oh uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, for, yeah, for living a, a good, meaningful, wholesome life. I mean, uh, memory is one of those things we take for granted in the sense that like, the, the, like God could have designed us differently where we didn't, have, mm -hmm. you know, have the ability to access memories and stuff. And that's, it's part of the gift of life, I think, is the fact that we can remember back to, um, I, I don't know if you've ever done this. This is a total tangent. Uh, but have you ever, have, have you ever like set your mind on, like you, you, you had a thought and um, maybe it related to something that happened in your past. And then you specifically, intentionally, I do this in the shower sometimes. Like, have you ever specifically intentionally said, okay, I'm going to do nothing but think into my past and remember as many different things as I can remember. Have you ever done that? I don't know necessarily. I don't, I've never actually took the time and sits and think. I wonder how far back I can go. I will say, I guess sometimes I have some, some pretty early memories. And I, I would say, I don't know if I have an average or above average memory, but I remember a lot. Yeah, I almost feel like that I can like see how I was from the time I was like three or four and all the way up. Like I can still put myself in that position. And so I think that helps too with just looking at yeah. life and storytelling. But yeah, um, sometimes I'll think about, I wonder how far back I can go and think and remember mm -hmm. things. Well, it's, it's, I would, you should do it sometimes. So as you were talking, I promise I was listening, but I was doing it. I know you're good. And the human brain, I'm telling you, man, it's, it's insane. It's, it's fundamentally insane. I mean, it's the same reason why we can remember song lyrics after not hearing the song for 15 hours, you know, 15, yeah. um, years rather. But like, right, like, like in that, in the span of that time, like I thought about very distinct memories, like mm -hmm. specific memories of, of, of all of going way back in my childhood. I think I see what you mean. But well. Like if you, um, I think I see what you mean. Like if you really try to think about it and think, I wonder what mm -hmm. memories I can dig up, you can actually kind of force yourself to think about memories you haven't thought yes. about in a long time. Yes, yes. I have after, done that. After, yes. after a sleepover at my buddy's, um, my, my buddy's house at his lake house, eating cereal, watching Ramsey's Kitchen Nightmares on the thing the night before, we yeah. stayed up all night playing video games out on the table. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. you can, and the more you think about an isolated incident, uh, excuse me, incident, a lot of times you can then go deeper and think about more of the specifics about that incident. So like, it's no wonder to me, again, I'm not trying to go crazy here, but it's no, no wonder to me that like, that there are techniques that people can practice and stuff to even draw further memories out of you. Because you're Absolutely. So oh, yeah. powerful at storing things that, that again, like most humans can just intentionally think about it without any sort of, mm -hmm. you know, additional, like even like hypnotic tactics or anything like that. And, and things we draw and you, you know, draw things out on your own. So, Pretty crazy. So that, so it's right. And part of how that gets cemented is because life works like a story, right? It's not just, oh, absolutely. it's not just bare facts. None of us remember some random list of facts that we learned in no, social studies. We, we don't remember a math test we took no. or, or like yeah. anything like that. We remember, oh, I remember when this happened. Happened. You we were right. here, I was that there, happened and too. here's how it went. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, That's, it's, it's right. Yeah. And it affects us in so many different ways. Like my dad sharing just one story with me. Um, it helps us bond. It helps me how I think about human interaction, helps me understand my dad more, my emotions more. And I mean, it accomplishes like five to 10 different things just by a, a story. It's, uh, 100%. it's incredible. 
Anyway, Very let's good. go to let's go to your yeah. Deck. yeah. All right, so so my next one, my number two. Um, I almost felt that this was cheating, and so I, I considered whether or not I was allowed to to say this because I I, I do think it might still be kind of cheating. I think it's but cheating, I, but I said Jesus. Taking the high ground there, Steve. I did. And um, it's kind of like, who's your favorite Bible character? You know, Jesus. <laughs> you kind of have to say Jesus so that, you know, you have to sort of qualify that. Um, uh, you know, of course, yes, because I'm, I'm a Christian. But I think even if I wasn't, right, um, it's, it's let's, let's just, in fact, let's just, for the sake of argument, let's set that to the side just for a second. Yeah. Let's say I was not a Christian. I still think my answer would be, would be Jesus. And um, uh, you, you, you know, somewhere, somewhere you can point to like sort of, see what I'm thinking is somebody like Jordan Peterson, who has a lot to say about Jesus and a lot to say about the efficacy of the story of the Bible and, and who does not even claim, right, to, to actually be a, a Christian. In fact, he, he likes to a lot of times even separate yeah. the question of whether or not it's, it's true. And, and so regardless, um, th there are there's plenty of books that have been written about this that uh, Jesus Christ, love him, hate him, disagree with him or whatever, uh, fundamentally changed the fabric of human history. Um, we would not, I mean, we would not be the world we are today It'd without be the influence of Jesus. It'd be a completely different world. And I'm not talking about in like a butterfly effect kind of way, where like if the person who had made this book <laughs> made it with one page less, yeah. a thousand years from now, uh, how different would that work? I'm not talking about in that sort of way. I'm talking about in a fundamentally changing the fabric of the way the Western world works. I mean, Christians invented books for crying out loud. You realize this mm -hmm. books were invented by Christians, right? So, so these, these people who, so that's all going into that, right? So, so, but then, but I do, right. I do believe Jesus was real and that he was the savior. Well, it's pretty uncontested that he was a real person, but I do believe that he was who he claimed to be in the sense of being the second person of the Trinity, the creator of the world. And, um, and so there's two senses then in which I, simply admire the stories of Jesus and the way that he told stories. Uh, one is his parables. Everybody knows about the parables of Jesus. I mean, I, I think it'd be, it'd be, it'd be very difficult. Maybe in our society today with Gen Z and stuff, we find it a little harder, but certainly most millennials and, um, and, and I would say virtually all baby boomers are going to have familiarity there was one in between there, wasn't there? Gen X, whatever. They are going to have lots of familiarity with the concept of a parable as told by Jesus, maybe even some common ones like the parable of the talent, parable of the sower. And um, these parables that Jesus told were really interesting. Uh, a lot of people think that he told par parables for the purpose of, of like simplification. In fact, most of the time, it's the exact opposite. If you actually look at uh, and read your Bible, Jesus tells um, his disciples why he's using these stories and um a lot of times it is it is it was done for the purpose of confusion um there were only certain people who were going to understand this the, the stories and, and get the message and so it was the it was the sort of thing that well jesus said my sheep will hear my voice right so he was he was attracting those who the message would attract and repelling those who the message would repel very similar to Typically, when you share the gospel today with somebody in the sense of trying to get them to understand why they need it, it's either going to attract them or uh, repel them. And so I think parables, uh, the parables of Jesus are very powerful. They also teach very timeless lessons that, um, you know, well, most good uh, business, wealth, and other, you know, life insight, they're all just concepts 
taken from the Bible. I mean, that's the first actual historical knowledge that we have with many of these concepts um, is is being written in the biblical account. So, I mean, the golden rule, right, traces back to to, to the Bible. So, um, so that was one thing. And the other thing, I want to use a, uh, a Rab, uh, Ravi uh, Zacharias, um, I guess, analogy. Uh, he wrote a book that, uh, and uh, if you know anything about Ravi, there's the, been some trouble with him. He passed away, but there's been some allegations of trouble and the dismantling of his organization over the past couple of years, which is really sad. Um, and I, that's a topic for, for another day. Um, but regardless, uh, many of his books have, you know, were always really influential to me. He, he wrote one called The Grand Weaver. And, um, yeah, I remember the book, although the book sort of, I don't want to say it was generic. Uh, it wasn't generic, but it talked about, like, it's kind of like, okay, if you've read the book and then you remember the title afterward, you kind of like really get the gist of the book kind of thing, mm -hmm. right? Like it's yeah, really yeah, easy sure. to just know what the book's about. And so the book is called The Grand Weaver. And, um, you know, sort of the premise is that, that, you know, God, the creator sort of is, is weaving the fabric of your life into, into this beautiful sort of mosaic that. You know, he can see, he understands the end goal, but oftentimes, you know, you're in the trenches, you're the, you're the, to use the biblical analogy, right? You're the clay that's being molded. So you don't really see what's going on, but it's part of a, a larger, beautiful tapestry. And that's sort of the picture of your life. And, um, I mean, I just, well, I, well, I wrote it this way in my notes, Jesus, um, if you believe what the new Testament says about him and what he said about himself, then you believe the, the statement, Jesus was the creator is a true statement. Um, in a qualified sense. And so that means he's the original storyteller. I mean, the story of creation, right? The, the, the events of creation. Um, he's the best because he's the original. Uh, and that's why, again, we talked about this at length, but I think the, the fabric of the world is built on story. And uh, I think that's why, because it was created by a storyteller. Uh, Jesus is the ultimate storyteller. and the, the story of the Bible is the ultimate story of humanity. So, that's why, that's why Jesus, and, and I, if I were to ask the question of how, well, that's almost a moot question. I think it's, <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty obvious how the stories of Jesus influence me because I think they're true. And uh, I think that they are accounts of history and I believe them. And because I believe them, that means something in the way I must act, live and respond. So, um, so that's it. Jesus, he is my number, number two pick, not in any order of importance. Of <laughs> Uh, he, well, you are a mother's boy. The second so. one I thought of. Yes. Um, well, my second pick yeah. is, is, uh, is not God. So <laughs> it's, uh, it might be a little bit of, uh, here, but, uh <laughs> I'll forgive you. I'm sure he will too. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. So my second pick, um, I've obviously talked about him quite a bit before and mentioned him already in this podcast, but, uh, Stephen Donaldson, um, not to go too much in the history of him, but just to kind of give um, people listening kind of who he is. He he is well known within the um, uh, fantasy uh, fiction community. If you really do read a lot of fantasy fiction, but there are a lot of people out there who have not heard about him because he's not one of your top people who sits alongside Token or Sanderson or um, a lot of the other bigger names. But he definitely is... is has his uh, popularity within uh within the genre and within the audience but his books that he wrote were i think in the mid or late 70s and um he definitely gets a lot of the influence as everyone else from token but his work um is also known for being quite original a lot of people at the time were um kind of copycats of token they would change some things they but they still incorporated some 
elves and dwarves or it was kind of variations of the same thing um he kind of took his own idea and at least it, again obviously all of my opinion really ran with something quite original um so Stephen donaldson um just kind of looking at uh, my notes here i'm debating how much i should go into his books versus just how he's influenced me i won't go too much into what the books are though but uh um he has three series in his uh 10 books divided up into three series of his core um the chronicles of thomas covenant and one of the things that he's really known for and uh, a lot of people actually don't like about him is um his very his use of kind of archaic language um how he tells his prose is words that you definitely do not use in everyday vernacular and a word you might never use your whole life. Um, it's it kind of, it's not poetic writing, but it almost seems that in a way sometimes how he describes the environment. And it, with Donaldson, it's either you like him, you either love him or you hate him. And I just, I love him. I love the kind of beautiful way he describes scenery, even though it might be over the top. Um, how he describes characters and his just description of everything always made it seem so real to me. And I, one of the things that I really took from reading his books is how real the characters felt. Um, there are definitely authors, um, cause this was 40, 50 years ago, authors have definitely perfected even more the writing of characters and developing character development. But even with that though, uh, my favorite characters in all of fantasy aren't from Lord of the Rings or elsewhere. Even though Lord of the Rings is my favorite um, book series and stories, um, but my favorite characters are actually from Thomas Covenant. I think of people read it, they know Kyle Troy and Banner and Saltart Foamfaller and all these characters that he just created so much emotion in. And it kind of goes along with the stories that my dad told me. And I've always really focused on the the human emotional side of things. And so... I guess how he specifically influenced me is I want to create characters that you can really feel for. Um, so that when they hurt that you hurt for them. Um, I remember, um, uh, but I'll go into detail too much about the story, but one of um, my favorite characters, Kyle Troy, he kind of has this gift, I guess you can say at the beginning of one of the books and he loses it at the end. And uh, I just felt, like so sad for him at the end and not many books really create an intense emotion in me like donaldson was able to do and i think that's just him effectively communicating each character and who they are and making them seem real to me so that's probably the biggest way that he's really influenced me um i'm seeing yeah. here kind of uh something else that i might i think i had something else to mention about him um, oh, yeah. So another really important thing is I kind of mentioned earlier that I really, whether it's a video game that I'm thinking about or a scene from my book, um, I really just, I really like to focus on each moment to moment and making everything just seem really important, whether it's a transition scene or even the simplest of things. And Donaldson just always, to me, seemed to really take his time. In, in the moment, communicate and express what was happening at any given scene. Um, so yeah, again, he's one of those people in the main character, either you love the main character or you read 50 pages and you hate the main character and you throw the book. It is a very love hate relationship with him. Not many people read the book and think, yeah, that was pretty good. 
but there's some changes I would make. It's one or the other. And I'm in the camp where I just love his writing. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how, how he influenced me. Um, in my opinion, he's, um, I went, <laughs> uh, subject, definitely subjectively speaking, he's my favorite writer and the best writer to me and how he's influenced me and his, his skill with that. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like he's really able to, um, well, like when I was hearing uh, the word that kept coming up to me was empathy, right? Like he, he really mm-hmm. taught you how to, uh, how to feel that solidarity with, with the character. And, and there's a, there's a marketing lesson to draw out from that. And that is, um, polarity. Um, you can, the number one marketing sin is to be boring. That's that, that mm. is the sin. Yeah. Uh, cause, cause if you're boring, you are irrelevant because you can't hold anybody's attention. So you, you kind of have to actually craft, I was literally reading about this today. Um, you really have to craft this persona in your marketing. And there are a couple different ways that you can go to show personality in your, in your writing. Um, but you have to create a sense where people love you or, or hate you. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're, you know, one common way of saying it is your vibe attracts your tribe. Um, right. And, and so I think, so what I'm hearing is that Donaldson was able to sort of do that in his stories, right? I mean, he was able to make you feel that in, in the characters that he writes. Um, so yeah, definitely. Uh, one thing that, and again, it's one of those things where some people think he did it too much. I really enjoyed it is, uh, the, the grand old thing about writing is you want to show and not tell, you want to be able to show your writer what's happening and how people are feeling rather than tell them. It's just a lot more effective. Uh, for some reason, um, Donaldson tells a lot. He gets you in the head of characters and what they're thinking and wants to tell you what they're going through. Um, if he seems to be the only person that gets a pass at it because he does it so well. Um, he's just known for even people who don't really care for his books will e- even admit that he just has a knack for making you get into someone's head and really feeling how they feel. Um, and it's, it's one of those things where it's iffy because if, like, in my opinion, some of his newer stuff isn't quite as good, he tries to do it and it's just, it's not that good at all. But his older stuff, when he was just in his prime and really had it, man, it was so good. Well, you know, there's a funny thing about mastery and I'm probably not going to illustrate this well, but like one example of this is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, um, I, I, I totally, I just totally forgot. <laughs> it's okay. You're getting old, Steve. I'll give you a pass. My gosh. What in the world is, is going on? Um, um, right. So, so I, I'll at least try to explain this and then it may, maybe it will help me to remember my illustration here. Um, but there's a funny thing about mastery where you can sort of like break the rules and it's okay. Because, oh, uh, it was a musical analogy, right? So I remember now. Um, a lot of times, uh, you know, you'll hear a very amateur musician blame the quality of their instrument for their bad sound. But like, amazingly, if, you know, gosh, I don't know, what's a brand, you know, what's the name to, let's, let's, let's say it's guitar, right? And you've got this cheap $300 guitar and it's like, oh, this thing stinks. That's why it sounds so bad, right? If I had a tailor or yeah. a fender or whatever but then brad paisley picks up the same guitar and makes it yeah. sound like an angel harp um you know what i'm saying you, you could, obviously it would sound even better with the right tool um but there's a sense in which you can kind of 
break the rules. Uh, another one is like a lot of times, so as marketers, what people don't understand about copywriting is it's not about creativity. Uh, actually, in copywriting, creativity is specifically frowned upon. The reason is because it's a very formulaic thing. You, you, there are um, different ways of putting it. A lot of people call them blocks. There are specific like blocks of copy that you should really have and sort of put together and arrange in a certain way, depending on the kind of story that you're intentionally telling. And um, you know, you don't really need creativity. And, and so, like in a lot of the scripts and templates and things that that you have to help s- sort of put those things together, it's kind of like if you practical example um you might have a a tool that you're using that is designed to help you get really good headlines or or social media posts but then you can generate what you have in that tool and mold it to make it work for the other so it's like Mm. once you have mastery you can break the rules and so that's kind of what i'm hearing with the donaldson thing a little bit is is he seemed to have mastery over this such that he could actually get away with breaking the rules and and it's still work right yeah yeah you you definitely yeah that that's exactly it very good all right you're Um, number three yep i am up i am up for number three so number three is um and this one won't won't take very long uh but vicky halstead so um, i hope she's still alive i'm not quite sure that she uh, (laughs) shout (laughs) out right um so she was a preacher's wife that he was the I got. Whew, I guess I should. I guess I should really know what his official position was. But I'll just say he was an associate pastor. I know he was like a children's ministry pastor, or whatever. Um, um, Tim, um, her husband, Tim Halstead, uh, was one of my pastors growing up. I guess I should have just said that he was one of my pastors. And just man, that's just good memories. Um, he yeah. he he ran he ran our Awana program and. Um, you know, it's kind of like I think about think about old uh, what's his name, uh, you know, Bruce Buffer. You know, it's time for the UFC. Um, on, on the on our Even Wednesday night, UFC, Steve. Damn, I'm digging it. On our on our on our Wednesday nights uh, for Awana, he always started everyone out. Good evening, clubbers. You know, just one of those yeah. things. And uh, now that I say that out loud, it reminds me of Good Morning Vietnam. So I wonder if we can yeah, every time. Robin Williams. Uh, anyway. So, so his wife, Vicky, um, was a well-known person in our church for her storytelling ability. And, and she had, she had, yes, a natural gift for it, but I, I, I don't know what she did for a living, but I'm pretty sure she had somewhere along the line, some sort of actual formal training in, in this. And I don't, I don't remember any context in which she wrote a story. But she was, she was a, what do they call it? Dramatic, like drama, right? She was yeah. like, a, like, a, like a dramatic narr- narrator. Yeah. She was that, right? So she would narrate our Christmas plays and things like that. And uh, one specific instance I can remember is we had a, um, you know, I forget what they called it. it was, it's, I, I mean, maybe they do this in public school too, but I know this is definitely a Christian school thing, but it, it's kind of like a, uh, I don't want to call it a talent show or anything like that, but it was sort of a like program. a fair, like a pro, like a, yeah, like a kind of thing where like you could, you could learn, um, or participate in different ways. Oh, I know what you're talking. I know what you're talking about, about and my wife like, knows it too because I I actually ask her this all the time. And really? And she asked it. Yep, I know what you're talking about. I keep I keep wanting to say something like like a fair 
or a variety show. Or it's none of those things. No, I, I can't. I, I know it's, what it's you're a, talking about. You know what I'm talking about, though. So any any of you Christian school kiddies, um, I'm gonna probably know what we're talking about here too. But but it was the kind of thing where so you could choose different things that you wanted to do. What I chose was to memorize, right, to do a dramatic storytelling thing and I had to actually memorize the story like that was part of it for what I was I couldn't I couldn't read it and so I got to work with her one-on-one uh with that and that was just a really cool thing and so I um my gosh I guess like I said it's gonna be pretty short I don't really know what else to say because she wasn't a writer um but but the way that you know and, and part of it I you know now that I'm really thinking about this um I I can almost guarantee that some of the way that I tell stories today, inflection and everything, mm-hmm. is directly. I, I, I in fact, I'm, I'm making the connections in my mind now. Yeah, it directly comes from that. I mean, I remember mm. in the church we were at before, um, before the where we currently attend. Uh, so I guess this was 2016, 2017. Um, we had a, we were doing a Christmas little Christmas program. It wasn't a huge production or anything, but we were doing a Christmas program. There were a few of us narrating. And I was one of them and not in like a braggy way, but like, don't you just like, I think it's fair to say that sometimes you just know, like objectively that you're better at something than someone else. Because yeah. like, I don't know, I, I, it sounds, it sounds prideful and I don't mean to be prideful, but it's like, it's like, no, like when a person reads a story like this, Jesus was at the, you know, the wise, the wise yeah. and said, you know what I'm saying? Versus, versus like, when he was two years old, the wise men, you know, showed up in there, you know, and, and right. And so, I mean, like Luke too, when you're doing a dramatic reading of Luke too, you know, you know, there was a census and Caesar and all that, you know, you could like tell these, there's a way to tell a story um, for dramatic effect. And even the way that I'm talking now, I think is very heavily influenced. So I, the reason I brought up the Christmas thing is I very specifically remember going out of my way to like read it dramatically and thinking back in my mind, like, yeah, this is how you, like, I, I grew up under somebody who knew how to do this. This is how you do this. Mm. Why isn't anybody else doing it this way? Why is there no passion? Where is the zeal, you know? And, um, and really, so I think it stems, I mean, I'm sure there's other influences too, but I think it ultimately, that's the earliest memory I have of somebody influencing that way. That it's like, oh, it's time to tell a story. So we're not just going to talk like this and act like we're reading it. We're going to, and another example of this real quick is, uh, look, I said it was going to be short. I got to stop saying that. Anytime I say, yeah, this is going to take just 30 seconds. It's going to take 30 minutes. Uh, times 10. Whatever Steve says, times 10. Exactly. So I, uh, my grandmother's funeral, this was 20, I want to say 2018, I think, or 2019. It was either 2018 or 2019 was my grandmother's funeral. And I wrote a piece um, for it. and I. Um, I read it at the funeral. Uh, it wasn't like a eulogy or anything, but it was a, it was a tribute sort of thing. I th- maybe a tribute to a praying grandmother or something like that. I actually published it on my blog, steveshram.com, if anybody's interested. Um, I think I might've recorded it as a podcast episode, but the point was I intentionally didn't want people to know that I was reading something that I had, uh, written. So I, so right. I, I had a manuscript in front of me, but I. I, I, I referenced it and I read it, but I, but I didn't, right. I read it, but I, but I didn't right? I can reference back to it. And, and people said, Oh, that was beautiful. How did, seriously, I had multiple people come up 
and say, how did you like, man, you came up with so eloquent. Like, how did you write? And I was like, I read that. Like I had that wrote. I remember specifically my uncle Billy being like, you know, just he's, if you can imagine a country boy from South Jersey, that's my uncle Billy. Right. And Chuck, I Ryan, can't. Marina, <laughs> it's, it's a thing. It, it's the garden state. Don't you forget. And, uh, and he said, oh, he was just flabbergasted. Like, you read that? Oh, I can't believe that. So, yeah, he said, I, I had no idea you were reading anything. So, so right, there's, anyway, I think there's a virtue in that. There's a virtue in being able to not just write a story, but to be, but in how you tell a story, both in the marketing realm, but then also in the creative drama, you know, realm. And so, um, so she was a huge influence on my life and I'll leave it there. I do know too that um, it's a huge uh, marketing seller from the fiction side of things where if you can, if you're a new author and you're trying to go like maybe a self-publishing route or something, being able to read um, your own book, like for Audible or something else, um, because people like to have, oh, this is the, this is the person who wrote it and yeah. saying it. So it's a huge, yeah, if you're able to do both, that's a huge skill. Um, 100%. It's no, on your list. So my third one. Um, I'm going to say this is going to go pretty quick and it will go quicker than yours. <laughs> um, my third one is a uh, token or token as some people like to pronounce it. Okay. I was going to stop you. I'm going to stop you right there. I wrote this down after your, what you call it after your Donaldson. And I forgot to ask you about it. So I'm asking you now. Straighten this out for me, my friend. I have heard token. I have heard token. I've heard. Tolkien, I have, you know what I'm saying? Help me out, bro. How do we say his name? What is the right way to say it? If I were just going by how it's spelt and I'd never heard it before, I probably would pronounce it Tolkien. But just because I grew up with it, I say token. Wait, token. But, but just because you grew up with it and like that's how you first thought of it or like you know, like you grew up with it and you learned early on that that is the right way to say I it learned, and now you say it that way. I learned early on that it's token and that's just how I say it. I don't know. I don't even know wait, what the token family wait, wait, goes. Oh, oh, okay, right. You learned early on that. Okay, right. So, to, to, so Tolkien as if there's not an I. Is that how you're saying yes. it? Like yes. T-O-L-K-E-N, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you I don't, don't say that because you're some sort of diehard who like knows better. No. You say that because that's just how you say it. Yes, exactly. And okay. I am and I try to say this every single time too. I am not one of those people who know everything about Tolkien's right, life. Right. And I don't I can't recall every single um story that he made. And I, I am not like that. I would say if there's like if there's like four tiers, I'm like at the second tier, probably at the bottom wow. of the second tier. So I definitely do know a lot and I'm passionate about it and I can well worsen it, but I am not close to the people that can recite everything in and out. <laughs> gotcha. But, okay. So you will be forgiven if you don't know exactly the correct way to say it. Yes. And I will, I will no longer feel awkward around you when we're having a conversation and you're like, yeah, token this, token that. And I'm like, yeah, Tolkien this and Tolkien that. No, not um, at all. Not so at all. good. So very good. Okay. The thing that I put here, it it's actually not Tolkien's specific writing in his writing style, I guess you can say. He wrote from more of a, it was like a historic style. He told you as if he was writing what had happened. Um, it's a very unique style and it and it worked and it was great. But um, I put here maps, maps, maps. Um, it's because of looking at maps of Middle Earth and 
from everything from in the books and then seeing it in the movies and then getting the risk game and just it, there's something about that that made it seem so real to me like looking at it and saying oh wow this is a place here's this city and here's all these people that live here it while donaldson made everything seem real to me he had maps in his book too but while he made everything seem real based on how he wrote um Tolkien made everything real to me based on I I guess it makes sense like what he wrote and all the background to it so I love watching the Lord of the Rings movies and being able to say oh wow it was this many thousand years before that that this happened and that is why this is happening here and it gives it there are other authors who have done that um Sanderson's great with his world building and making stuff but there's something about Tolkien I think it's because he's the first person that did it too. And he did it so well that his world just, it's almost like he created his own world that has a history like ours that goes back thousands of years. And even though I know he didn't think of every single little detail on the way, it feels like it because he spent so much time on um, building that up. And so the thing that really influenced me by Tolkien's way is just, when I think about writing a setting, it typically comes to a setting, whether it's a religion, a town, an area. Um, sometimes we'll have to have a podcast on ways to write and we're building and everything like that. But because um, you can go overboard with it too much. But I always think, OK, how do I want this? Like what brought this about? Did something happen like a hundred years ago, did something happen at the very beginning of time in this world that caused it to be this way? Because when you read or watch the Lord of the Rings, there's pretty much a reason for everything that happens. And it's, it's quite incredible that he was able to layer all of that together. Um, I'm trying to, I'm just looking at my notes here. Um, oh, and then I think another thing that, so kind of two things is I love how when I was a kid, it was watching Lord of the Rings, how dramatic it is. And just, it seems like that every character, when they talk, I think of like Aragorn, uh, uh, Boromir, um, and Gandalf. It just, it wasn't, yeah, there were natural communications between people, but there are so many moments in the book and the movie where a character almost has like a soliloquy, which is my favorite word. I want to throw that in there because it fits where, I guess not actually, they're kind of just expressing a grand thought and like almost for the audience. And it's just, it's just so wonderful. And I don't think a lot of different books or movies could pull it off the way Lord of the Rings does. And there's something about, I like books where there might be two people who have a disagreement or there's a big conflict between them and there's not really necessarily a good or a bad person. It could just be a difference of goals, but I, there's something great about Tolkien's book where it's, I'm not going to say every time, cause I'm sure there's exceptions. I can't think of any, but it's good and there's evil and it's very clear who the good is. And it's very clear who the evil is. And even going back all the way through the history from the first age to the third age, it's like that. And it's, even though it's it's simple, it it just works so well. And just seeing the good overcome the evil through it all. Um, I think of Sam helping Frodo during his dark times and then Aragorn just being a really solid figure through the whole movies and then Boromir overcoming his internal evil and realizing how he was and then 
dying in the end to, um, you know, to overcome that and ultimately giving his life to, to save, uh, Mary and Pippin. And so it's just, uh, it's just a lot of small things, but yeah, the, the main thing is just, it just seems like a real world. It seems like that planet could exist out there and really, and is really out there. And so that's kind of the, yeah. Yeah, uh, I would say that those are the elements of that and how clearly you can see biblical influence. Those el elements are the things that draw me to it as well, because as I I've shared once or twice um, on the podcast so far, and of course, you know, I am much more of a nonfiction guy. Um, I have been, you know, to the extent that I am a reader, which We'll talk about that later, but I am a lot more now one than I used to be. I started reading in probably 2015, um, and I, I I haven't really done much with fiction. I would say my, my greatest exposure to fiction when I was younger was in movies, of course, and the video games. Um, what, that's where most of my fiction came in, and then when I got into books, it was mostly nonfiction. And then, so kind of like my first re-entry into the fiction world happened this past year thanks to you honestly um with you know exposure to lord of the rings and it was sort of like uh i, I want to say picking up where i left off except that's assuming that you can pick up where you left off somewhere that you've never been before <laughs> but but it, it takes you right so it was it was an easy sort of world to get into and, and I, I made it easy for myself in the sense that like I don't know that I would have stuck with it and I'm still going through the books but I, I don't know that I would be so poised to stick with it if I was just reading words on paper you know I made sure to download the audiobook and specifically I made sure to get a a dramatized mm -hmm. version that I that was well done and I knew could really hold my interest um and so I had that and I've been going through that and I too um appreciate how real the world feels and, and how it's almost like, you know, one way I want to think, I, I kind of think about it is, and Star Trek gives me this as well. Um, but Star Trek has a lot more, had a lot more opportunity to do this. The fact that it could be done in Lord of the Rings it get in the relatively small time it has compared to a, a long running, you know, multi-generational decades long series like Star Trek. Um, it, it's pretty impressive um, that it can pull you in that, that way and really give you an illusioned history in such a world that feels like it really could be a real place. And, and I, but no, I was just gonna say, I think, and I think how he told it kind of in the historical fashion almost made it even more real. I yeah. mean, you don't want to do that to tell a good story today. It's just not good writing, but how he did it, it was almost like, Hey, here's this history book mm -hmm. about what happened. And it just, it just added to the yeah. reality of it. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so too. And, um, so, you know, anyway, yeah, that, that, that made a huge difference. I saw, um, um, uh, Brandon Sanderson, cause I do, I, I have watched some of his lectures mm -hmm. because he is, I, even though I haven't read any of, of his fiction yet. You obviously had you and some other people in my life have spoken very highly of him. And uh, so I've watched some of, his, some of his lectures, which he graciously, you know, makes available on YouTube. Yeah. And this is one of the things I heard him talk about is in your, in your world building that you, you, you only need to do so much. You know, there's, there's just sort of the really a balance of, you don't really have to, you don't have to create the depth in the world, but you got to go, you know, uh, this isn't his now. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to say, you got to, you got to, you got, you got to drill a few hundred feet down, you know, or at least a few feet down, um, you know, to, to really make it feel like there's this huge world 
underneath of it. And so that's a really interesting skill. I think that it could directly be applied to the marketing and stuff like I'm uh, into. So definitely. Um, okay. Was that, is that good for Tokyo? Uh, yep. Yep. To my next one? Move on. Absolutely. Sweet. So my next one uh, to, to kind of uh, climax into the marketing angle for me is a, is a mixture of Russell Brunson and Dan Kennedy. And the reason I'm combining them together, number one, is so that I can get two for one. Uh, <laughs> um, and number two, um, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and number two, just be, because they are similar in approach, um, Dan Kennedy being sort of like the, so Russell Brunson being sort of like the modern, you know, not reincarnation because I don't believe in that. And Dan Kennedy's still alive, but sort of like the, the, the Russell, Russell Brunson is the Dan Kennedy for a new age. And in fact, um, Russell acquired Dan's company, Magnetic Marketing, and is very literally making Dan's material accessible again to a new, um, audience. And so the, the thing about these two is they are both master storytellers so i'll just i'll give you just one so for dan kennedy suffice it to say that my introduction to him came through russell and so his influence has is huge on me especially in these last uh few months okay and so i'm gonna leave the dan thing there he, he's great great stories fantastic storyteller just genius marketer but there's a specific story i want to tell about russell so Russell is one of these guys that like you you he is in if you're into online marketing you almost certainly almost certainly have heard his name like even if you don't really know the details of of who he is what he does what he's about you've almost certainly heard his name and you've probably even seen his face um because it's it's so easy to get sucked into his world because of the, uh, the just the, the sheer volume of advertising that they do and that they are able to do uh, with him and his company, ClickFunnels. And so I avoided it for years. I avoided it for years because I kept hearing his name come up and all the different influencers. And I, I've talked about this a little bit before where, he, especially in marketing, you sort of have like these spheres of influence. You've got, let's just say there's three levels. There's probably more, but let's just say there's three. You've got the really popular names right here in, in, in this uh, sphere. And then you go out a little, a little wider and you've got the, the gurus to those gurus. And then you go out on one more level and you got the gurus to those gurus, right? So if I were to yeah. say actual names, Amy Porterfield is like a very widely well-known internet business marketing guru that you would almost certainly know today. A little less popular is Frank Kern. Um, but Frank Kern is is a guru to the gurus who is very well known amongst these levels of gurus. And then the gurus to the gurus guru is in this outer layer. And so that's sort of where Dan Kennedy lives. And then Russell Brunson, I think kind of straddles the line yeah. between those other, uh, those other two. And so, so I would see his ads come across my Facebook feed almost every freaking mm -hmm. day because people, so many people were talking about him yeah. because they were the gurus that I was following, right? He was their guru. And, 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 and then again, because you kind of shot on that boundary, I would see his advertising just all the time. And I was just getting pummeled with it. And specifically it was in the, um, I remember the, the, the time where I was really getting hit with it was in the marketing for his expert secrets, uh, book. And I remember specifically Tony Robbins, you know, who Tony Robbins is mm -hmm. yeah, speaker. 
a lot of people in the media is, of course. So he and Russell are like great friends. Okay. So, so those two. And um, Dean Graciosi, little less well known. Do you know who he is? I do not. Okay. Dean Graciosi is a so infomercial guy, right? Old school infomercial guy who was not his, his first like big hit product, I think was called Motor Millions. And then he went into real estate. And so, whatever. And so I kept seeing these ads that were basically like Russell and, or, or, or Tony and Dean with Russell. And they were talking about this expert secrets book. And at first I thought it was like really scammy. I was like, whatever. Who names the book expert secrets? It's probably the scammiest, lamest thing ever. And then I saw, um, it had Tony and Dean's endorsement. So I was like, oh, okay. Um, and so this probably for years I went on and I knew who he was, but I didn't do anything with that information. And so one day I'm at work and this is back a couple of years ago, still worked at the law firm and, you know, I mean, I, whatever I was, maybe I wasn't the best employee, um, but I would almost all the time be listening to a podcast or, or, you know, having YouTube on with, with the screen off, yeah. you know, listening to a YouTube video or whatever. And so I thought, no, oh, what the hey. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna look up something that he's put out there and, and find out once and for all if I need to like you know whatever like like do I need to know who this guy is? And the very first thing of his that I ever watched was an hour and a half long presentation of him at Grant Cardone's 10x growth event. If you don't know who Grant is, he is the biggest name in real estate. Um, it's like like real estate thought leadership today, almost certainly. I mean, he is he is like. Uh, they call him Uncle G in the industry, right? He's like, he's the dude. He's got the he's got the forty six million dollar jet that he paid cash for, you know that that he's that guy, right? He's he's got cake, and um, so he so Russell was speaking at this event. I found out later that um, he sold three point two million dollars of product as a result of that ninety minutes <laughs> at that event. Like like that was counted up. The, like that wasn't like follow up after the fact. That was order forms at the event for a 90-minute presentation, $3.2 million. And, um, but the whole time through that 90-minute presentation, I was like super hooked. Now, now, now I have literally years of bathing myself in what he teaches. And I read his books like eight times, like all of them. <laughs> and, and right, so like I have a lot more context now where I can sort of see the wizardry. But like mm -hmm. then... I, I then I didn't understand the wizardry. I just knew that I was being, I was captivated, you know, by it. And so, um, so I, I watched that presentation. And it was it was honestly like, oh my gosh, this is the craziest thing ever. Because he he was, and I, of course I later learned that it was designed to, to do this. But like the it created belief. That one presentation created belief that like this was the right, like to be in internet marketing was the right thing to have a sales funnel was the right thing. Like mm -hmm. totally had me believing it. And um, fundamentally, I mean, to be honest, completely changed my life. I mean, I, I literally make money now helping other people do what Russell does. Yeah. Um, it's my livelihood. Uh, and so pretty influential. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not only my livelihood, it's my passion. I mean, it, it gets yeah. me more excited than almost anything else. Um, it's it's like a it's like a game that like every time you win you get paid. It's like super cool. It's like it's like gambling but not right. It's like right. super cool. Um, and uh, and so anyway, so so Russell is a just a genius storyteller. Completely changed my life with with everything. And, and so um, what I have now is a lot of context for things. Whereas 
when I was learning from the really popular influencers, like I was hearing them say things, but it was more tactical. It was more like, you know, step one, step two, step three, Facebook this, Facebook that. Whereas what he teaches is more strategy, belief, patterns, how to make customers take action, things like that, that you can apply across a range of tactics, right? So it's the strategy level stuff. So that's what I learned from him and um, it, it completely changed my life forever. That's cool. I I would contribute to the dialogue about them, but I have never gotten into reading them or listening to them. So I get to hear about it well, from you, Steve. <laughs> well, if you're you're trying to build a platform one day, and look at I'm telling you, you uh, you you no. probably should read a book or two on it. I'll, I'll tell you. Uh, I don't need to because you are my guru. <laughs> nice. So I just listen to you. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. All right. Uh, cool. Well, who's your next one? So my next one, and I actually think this one will be kind of a a, a quick one, um, is Brandon Sanderson, and. Um, not to put aside how much I really do love his um, characters and his stories, everything about him. I just, he's just a great, fantastic writer. I actually would say, if I'm being honest, he, he's probably he's just one of those people that uh, he's obviously put in the time too. I'm not going to put down how much he's studied writing. Like, I think he wrote 10 books before he finally got published. So he has obviously done the time, but just something about him where he's just one of those masterful people at his craft and just one of a kind. Um, so just subjectively speaking, if he's, if not the best, one of the best fantasy writers of all time. Now, the one thing that he's influenced me by, it's like when I read um, Tolkien or when I read Donaldson, I just naturally get, um, I just naturally get um, reflection from it and, um, inspiration just from reading about the characters and the world and i'm just naturally drawn to it and it affects me very easily with sanderson i read his books very slowly and i enjoy them too just from a reader perspective but when i read sanderson's books i really read them to learn um and not specifically stealing from his writing style because i actually want to kind of tell stories differently from he does i want to have my own different flavor than how he tells it but um he just knows how to write um he just knows how to and so when i read his books i really try to glean different techniques that he uses and i really care i try to pay close attention when he foreshadows something or when he makes a promise to the reader i really look for the progression in that and when it gets delivered and how he delivers it and then, of course, listening to his lectures and everything on the side. But I, I really use Brandison um, Sanderson as my, I guess, really kind of personal guru on my side. Of, um, I've learned more from him about actually writing than anyone else. Um, that's all I have to say about him. I, again, I do love his stories. Just from a fan, I he's a great um, uh, writer, and his books are some of my favorites. But yeah, I really use him as a from a technicality perspective um just really helped me understand writing a lot more does he have any books on writing <laughs> um i think no. he's talked before about doing it and i i think his way of doing it is through his lectures and the podcast and everything and i actually don't if i had to put money on it i don't think he is going to make a book about writing i think this is just his way of, of doing it gotcha cool cool very good um my next one, which I will try to make a little quicker, is uh, Greg Kokel. 
And uh, Greg Kokel is, um, so I got into Christian apologetics uh, 2015. I've told that story before. And um, I, basically, it used to be that all of my time was taking up with uh, taken up with with reading about Christian apologetics, and um, or, or podcasts, you know, hearing podcasts about it or watching videos about it or whatever. And uh, over the years, as I've had to, you know, as my interests have changed, although I mean I, I'm still very interested in it, it's not that I'm less interested in it. It's just that I have to be sort of selective about where and how I spend my time. I don't have as much time to listen to podcasts and to read books, you know, anymore. And um, he is one that has endured um, on my regular list. Um, because yeah, I'll, you'll get good content from him, but, um, once you sort of like, the, you can always go deeper on the, on the, on the what and the why of things. Um, but the how of things changes as culture mm-hmm. changes very rapidly. And what Greg is good at doing is, is taking the information that is much of it timeless, some of it new, much of it timeless. Um, and applying it and, 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 and honestly being really practical, just helping you learn how to share your convictions mm-hmm. with people. And so, uh, he's wrote two, I mean, he's wrote multiple books, but there are two books he has. One is called the story of reality, which he builds as a sort of mere Christianity for the new age or for the modern age. Um, if you don't know mere Christianity was written by C.S. Lewis, it was his book on Christian apologetics. So any of you C.S. Lewis fans, um, you should also know, if you didn't, that he was an ardent Christian apologist and wrote a book called Mere Christianity that is very influential um, in um, the defense of Christianity even today. And so Greg Kokel wrote a book called The Story of Reality that um, he wanted to sort of rewrite that for a for a more modern audience. And so that is what that book is. And then he's got another book called Tactics, a game plan for uh, discussing your Christian convictions. And the idea is how to actually how how to maneuver in conversations and so i just love that again he's a he's a great writer he's so clear he has you know master's degrees in philosophy and in apologetics and things like that and he's just he's so articulate he makes distinctions he doesn't just say what um you know he tells the why he undergirds everything with a story begins with a story um and he's just a fantastic um, storyteller, easy to listen to, very clear, makes good distinctions. And so for that, I really appreciate his work. So He's one of those people where I have never read his stuff, but um, I I hear his name pop up like every once in a while in a podcast or he'll, I, hear, yeah. I will hear someone mention it. And so that's a name that I'm just very familiar with hearing, but I've never read his book. But I think I might have to. It sounds very, very good. Well, let me just put it to you this way. I mean, uh, you and I have talked about um, Frank Turek before, and Frank and Greg are really close. So okay. you probably, and they do a lot together. So you, 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 you might have heard it on some of that. Um, I will say that I am not sure. I'm not sure that I could point to a book aside from the Bible that has been more influential for me than tactics. Now, maybe some of the marketing books that I yeah, read, right. maybe, yeah. maybe, but, but like, in terms of like really important, because at the end of the day, marketing is not that that important, you know, in, in terms of really important things in the world, um, I would say that Kogel's book Tactics is probably one of the most important and influential books I've ever read. In fact, I, I almost think it's to be prerequisite. It's like you become a Christian, uh, day one when you become a Christian, I think like pretty much day two, you should be reading Tactics because you will be barraged so quickly mm. by people who 
a lot of times don't even understand what they're talking about. Now, some people do, and you should know how to answer them as well. But a lot of Christians, especially baby Christians, are are sort of led astray by really bad thinking. And so that's what Greg aims to counter in his book. And um, serious, I really think every Christian should read it. I mean, it is it is easily it is the easiest book for me ever to recommend. So get you a copy. Make sure it's the one with a little bit of red in the color. It's the 10th anniversary edition because he did some updating and stuff to it. Super duper cool. good book. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I'm on my last item. Uh, so this one is unique. I want to do something fun, not just for the sake of it, but it actually, um, is very, been very inspirational to me and influenced me a lot. Um, it's actually a video game studio called, called, uh, play dead. They're from one word play dead. They're from, uh, they're an independent video game studio. I don't know if there's five people that work there or 25, but it's, it's a small indie, um, studio, uh, based out of Denmark. They've made two games. Uh, one's called Limbo, and another one's called Inside. And they are two of my favorite games I've ever played. Uh, what's unique about them is uh, Playdead's kind of known for being very creative, um, having a low hierarchy in their company, and just really having people express creativity and suggest new ideas. And it really shows in their games. Um, the interesting thing about their games is they have they've sold so much and are so popular and their games, I, obviously they're very well done, but, um, kind of, they're kind of straight, straightforward. It's a usually 2d side scrollers again, very well done though. Very pretty games. Um, but there's no dialogue in them. Um, it's, um, it tells a story through the progression of the level and in each one of them in limbo and inside you you don't know what kind of world you're in you don't know what's happening and it's kind of a mix of a you solve certain puzzles along the way even though i wouldn't call it a puzzle game like other games are like tetris or anything but you progress through these levels and you discover what kind of world you're in and like what's going to happen it's it honestly is very hard to describe unless you actually play it because it is an experience um and if you don't have the time to play it yourself or you don't want to buy it, there are people who do speed runs of these games and you can easily YouTube it. And, uh, you know, you can watch a playthrough between like 30 minutes and an hour for each game. They're very quick games. And it's, uh, anyway, the, the, they've inspired me a few different ways. One, just their, their storytelling through not using words, but through music and through intensity and through scenery and through action and interaction. And so a lot of times my game actually that I'm working on, um, has a lot of inspiration, uh, from that. My game will have dialogue in it, but, uh, just the moment to moment feeling of giving, getting the characters sucked into what's happening. And it, they've just really influenced me a lot. And every time I. Every like probably once a year, I'll play through each game, and every time I get on and I see the title screen, I just get so excited because I know it's just gonna fill me up with all these emotions again. But anyway, yeah, if it, people want to check it out, uh, the studio is Play Dead, and there are two games, Limbo and Inside. They'll be coming out with a third game soon, and it's just a really fun experience. Cool. Yeah, I um, let's see. So Play Dead, I might want to look that up. I wonder if you could find anybody like you know some some gameplay videos on YouTube and, or something. Oh, definitely, because they're popular. You look it up and just do like speed run or gameplay. And again, each playthrough can be is like less than an hour long. And it's a great game oh, for cool. people 
like I take my time with it and really enjoyed it and tried to collect everything. And I think I spent maybe five hours on each game doing it all and playing through it like three times. So it's very loud as well. Um, it's the end of my stuff. That's my last one. But I did want to just do a quick shout out to Stephen King, even though I personally actually don't like his books. I, I just, even though I like good horror stories, I just don't care for his books. However, his book on writing was amazing. And I've listened through it twice. I say listen because he reads it. And so I listen to him tell it. And it's just an incredible book. And then also Robert Jordan, who wrote the Wheel of Time series, it's a 14 book series that Brandon Sanderson had to take over because Robert Jordan passed away. Um, just a phenomenal series. So those are cool. All, that's my full list, Steve. Yes. There you go. There you go. Well, I will, I will, before I say my last one, I will make a transitional honorable mention uh, then as well. I'll just say Star Fox in terms of video games. Uh, yeah. um, Star Fox games. Star, the, I'm playing through one right now called Starlink Atlas from a few years ago. And it's just fantastic. I mean, it's, it's sort of like, it's kind of like how the Lord of the Rings was a good way for me to get into fiction again. Mm. You know, from yeah. a very, very long break, I would say that Star Fox it's just a really, because it's one of the games that I remember playing a lot growing up. So it was a really natural transition to sort of like get mm. me sucked into playing video games again. And I, I, I mean, I guess you could go with even more popular ones like Mario or whatever. Certainly that's true. You know, the, the Mario experience is sort of timeless. But uh, Star Fox being a little bit more niche than that and still like, you know, like, 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 yeah, like, right. Do, do a barrel roll. You know, it's like that, <laughs> never, yeah. that never gets old. I don't care if it's 1997 yeah. or 2022, you know? So, yeah, um, totally huge. Um, okay. So, uh, despite not being too much of a fiction fan, as, as I did mention, I will contradict myself a little bit in saying that the world of fiction that I am the most sucked into, um, <laughs> Maybe except for there's a little bit of Marvel, a little bit of Disney that I could say, okay, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty big into the lore and the stuff like that. Disney, I'm more so interested in the lore as it relates to a business result. So that's so so right. So Disney, it's not it's not like the Little Mermaid is just the best story ever. I mean, I think it's fine, but what Disney is able to do in terms of systematically creating a storied experience for people in their parks is huge. Um, but for me, the greatest fiction world that I am sucked into is that of Star Trek. Hmm. And I was so shocked to find that you were not into the Star Trek world yet at all. It's yep. like, I almost feel like this is a whole, but yours, this is what blows my mind. You love space. Like we've talked about this multiple times. You like, you listen to space podcasts, like you yeah. love space. And <laughs> it is weird. Yeah. And in my opinion, Star Trek especially if you like start with the early 2000s enterprise because that that show made an intentional effort to to bridge the worlds in the sense of you could almost believe that it's real right if, I, if the, you, I would have to try just for you steve you, dude we should what we should do for our next movie night that's going to be my next movie is going to okay. be, we the should watch like episode. the first two episodes okay. Okay. of, because I think it's a twofer. Um, it's called Broken Bow, uh, Broken Bow, Broken Bow, I think, which is the name of the town in Oklahoma um, that the story originates in. And so, yes, we should absolutely do a, do the two part first 
and second episode of that show for our next movie. Okay. Um, okay we'll do and it. I think you'll I think you'll be hooked into the entire world. I think you will. So um but so so uh, you know who's the storyteller? Well of course it's Gene Roddenberry. Um and and um I, I almost have to admit that Roddenberry is so okay. So I'm going for anybody who's listening to this now or in the future who actually is a real Star Trek fan. Especially like one of those super diehards, kind of like talk about with the to- you know, Tolkien stuff. Um, I have uh, to- it's, it's Tolkien. It's Tolkien. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I do have to make a startling admission oh. in that I have not seen the original series. Mm. I know. I have not watched Star Trek, the original series, um, because I just, I just can't bring myself to do it. I, I just, I just can't bear to see the little fake Enterprise floating in front of a black box with little Rice Krispies or whatever that they're using for stars. Like, I just, I just can't do it. Um, I've watched a couple episodes and, and whatever. For me, it's everything, everything from the next generation on I have seen and am, you know, really, really into. And I think it's just great story. Um, so, so Rod and Mary, in, you know, it, it would be the storyteller in the sense that the the world that he has created, and he did some of those early the next generations. I think he did have some, you know, still a lot to do with. And um, uh, there was a, one of the characters who's very well known throughout the the series that were in the nineties. Um, is I want to say it was um, um, Commander Troy. Is it Commander? Commander Troy, um, Deanna Troy, her mom is played by Gene Roddenberry's wife. And so even after Gene died, um, his, you know, sort of, in a sense, his, his really practical footprint sort of lived on in this recurring character who came around a lot that was Deanna Troy's uh, mom. And so um, what's the point? Well, this, I guess just the point is that that Roddenberry built a world, and it is a intense world, right? So, like, it is, it is one of those. I mean, they've had decades to build it, so it is one of those where there are multiple timelines, there are multiple layers, but it's never, it's never incoherent completely. There are some little things that that if you dig deep enough, you can sort of like the glue has a couple little tears in it yeah. but for the but for the most part um for the most part it's really buttoned up really tidy and it's just a it's just a fun world because it's so nicely i think bridges the gap but it's like i said star trek is prophecy right it's like it's so nicely bridges the gap between the real world and um in the world of star trek the uh and i'll, I'll end with this uh the odd tension here is that Star Trek is well. The idea is utopia, okay. So the, I'm I've always been fascinated with the concept of utopia. So like the the Disney Tomorrowland movie is really fascinating to me. Old school sci-fi stuff where you know a world of tomorrow type of thing where where you know whatever. So so uh, Star Trek is built on the premise of. Utopia. Now, of course, there are war. There, there are you know there are wars. There are conflicts. There are whatever. And so, like, the the point is that that is weird, right? So, like, so 
America or American or not not Americans, Earthlings. Okay, Earthlings. So Earth has, you know, hundreds of years into the future, Earth has come to this point. They have evolved as a species morally to where basically all of your social items on the liberal agenda are the reality, right? Like we stop charging for medical things. Oh, well, money and money itself, honestly, is not really important anymore. Everything's just kind of free food. You can just kind of generate on a whim, you know, things like this. So this is the sort of world, especially in the next generation that you really see. And so it was, and if you watch any documentaries about it, which I have watched um, mm -hmm. a lot, you know, you really see that, yeah, that's, that's like, that's because that's the, the world that, that Roddenberry envisioned was sort of this perfect harmony, utopia world. And I always, again, I can't help it. This is just how I think. I like to make the concept of two things uh, with utopia. And that is like, part of me loves the concept. Part of me hates the concept. Um, I love the concept because I'm, you know, I'm a tech guy. You know, I've always been interested in technology. I think electric cars are freaking cool. Some people think Alexa is like, it might as well be the devil uh, <laughs> living in your home. You know, China's going to invade. I love that I can tell my robot to like, that it's bedtime and the whole house shuts off. Like, I love that stuff. So I love that, you you know, utilizing technology in a, in a way consistent with something like Utopia. If you ever look into Walt Disney's vision for Epcot, not the park as it is now, but what it was supposed to be and probably would have been had he not died. You may not know this, but Epcot stands for the Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. And the idea was basically building a shell, a bubble, a, a utopia where you know, whatever, there was no crime. Things were perfect. There was, there was, you know, every, anyway. So that's the world that, that Roddenberry wanted. The ironic thing is, is that much of the sort of liberal agenda that goes into a lot of what's in Star Trek is actually antithetical to what I believe as a Christian. And, and yet that desire, that longing for utopia actually strikes really deep um, into the human heart and into the reality. And I think like the irony of that whole scenario is that Christians believe in utopia. In fact, we think that utopia can only happen if the Christian worldview is true. And it's because that's how the world was created in the beginning. And so it's no surprise that our heart longs for that. Something is broken. We all know that something is wrong with the world. And we believe that that's going to be made right in the future. Um, it's not right now. It's not going to be made right because of some grand ideas that humans have. It's going to be made right because God is going to make it right. And so um, anyway, but all that to say, I, I love, I love Star Trek because I love space. I love Star Trek uh, because I love technology and whatever, but I love Star Trek because it really does get to those deep human needs and desires. And I think I have a consistent way of, of answering that. And I, I've talked with Emily from our church about this at length too, of like, I just think it would be really cool if, if in the resurrection and the new new heavens and new earth, if we each got a planet. I think that would be super cool. And then like Star Trek and Marvel and all that stuff, that just sort of like happens at the end of the, at the, end of the just, age. We all get, we're, we're all like the president of our own planet. I think it would be super cool. So anyway, that is that for your consideration. Excellent. That I'll have to give Star Trek a try. Yeah, it's, I think, I don't, I don't know why I haven't, I think what set me off from it is because there were just like so many iterations of it. I don't know if there was already like three or four or so, and I just didn't know where to start. And it seemed weird that it kept restarting over. Whereas 
of course, I got into the fantasy side of things early on. I was like, okay, there's Lord of the Rings, then there's Lord of the Rings, and there's Lord of the Rings. And it's the same yesterday, today, and forever, Steve. <laughs> and so it was just a very grounded reality to me. Whereas when I looked at Star Trek, I think just uh, subconsciously, I was like, eh, I'm not interested because who knows where it takes place and if, and why it's changing. And so that's well, fair enough. Right. So that's probably of- why. If I think of something related, like Battlestar Galactica, right? I know that that's an entire world that, like, I would just have to sort of, like, pick, right? Like, <laughs> right, close my, right. And people listening can't see me, but I would have to, like, close my eyes, cover my eyes, and just, like, pick some random place to start. And then I know that when I start there, I'm not going to have any context for anything else mm-hmm. that happened. Um, mm-hmm. Star Trek, it was alleviated with me for Star Trek a little bit for two reasons. One, the Easters, who I've spent no short amount of time explaining my involvement with them and music and stuff, they're all huge, diehard Star Trek fans. And so they got me into it. It was rather yeah. natural. I almost sort of had to be into it in order to you be like to in be. the club. Yeah. So I did. But but if I'm remembering correctly, my uh, – so the Enterprise series was also kind of my first introduction to it. And after I saw that, I was like, okay, I have to see what more of this is about. And it was helpful because Enterprise sort of served as a, I hate to make this comparison. I hate drawing this comparison. Uh. But if you think about how Star Wars did the, <laughs> you know, they released movies one, two, and three. You know, four came out in the 80s, but then one, two, or 70s or whatever. And then one, two, and three were like the early 2000s for some reason. Um, um, but those kind of like, like those later ones made the earlier ones make a little more sense and, and be more real. That is what happened with me for Star Trek. And so I, I think there I think I could introduce it to you in such a logical way as to be believable and, and it would make sense for you. I think so, you could pull it off, Steve. I think so. Um, I think so. Well, that is the end of our list. Um already. So about an hour and a half's gone by. I think this might be our longest, but it was a really fun one. It's interesting. Dude, I'm down. This is so where fun. we get our appearances by and yeah, no, I don't either. <laughs> skip or leave it or do whatever they want with it but uh yep. yeah no this was fun um i'm gonna go ahead and give my story of the week if that's good do it so yeah man mine i'd say it's like a a typical thing to put because it's happening but i just thought there was an interesting story angle to it um i i wanted to bring up about what's going on with uh, ukraine and russia and without getting into the weeds about it all it's just interesting how there's really kind of two stories and only one thing can be true. So, you know, Putin um, has really kind of set up the scenario of why he is invading Ukraine and the justification for it. And without going into, you know, all the arguments about, about it, it's just interesting how, man, how just stories can influence people's minds. Um, And just looking at the Ukraine side of things too, where, um, uh, the president Zelensky, you know, he's putting videos up on Facebook and he is, you know, just really active with everything. He's putting forward his own story about what's happening there and how he's being involved. And it's it, in a way, it is almost kind of like a battle between the stories there. Um, and again, I think, you know, the majority of people can kind of sort out what the truth and, and fiction is. But at the same time, a lot of people who either have that inability to or, for people who don't have access to maybe truthful information can just be can just be easily influenced by a story that they hear because it, it makes sense 
and it has a logical flow. So even untruthful things can make sense and seem to follow and therefore. So um, I just think it's, it's just interesting. And so obviously it's sad. I'm not looking at this from a perspective. Oh, wow, that's interesting. You know, I'm excited to see what happens. No, not at all. Like I, I wish it would stop. But yeah. I'm just kind of sitting back and watching it and just just seeing it all play out and how people are responding to it. And it's just, we haven't had a situation like this in this kind of social media age too. Obviously there exactly. was the war, um, you know, uh, the war in the Middle East, um, I say Iraq war, but it was also in Afghanistan. I mean, that was a mess over there, but that started really, you know, in the early thousands where social media wasn't around. And so this yeah. is the first one that we've had and it's, it's just different and it's, it is interesting to watch play out. Um, so anyway, yeah. Yeah, no, no, it, it, it is. And so two quick things about that yeah. is, so I saw, um, just a Facebook friend. He's not a, like a real life friend around a Facebook friend of mine yeah. who shared, uh, cause Putin wrote basically his side of the story right there mm -hmm. on his Facebook wall. And I saw a friend who shared that and he said, just for your consideration, I like to see both sides of every story. And I'm like, interesting, right? I'm, Right, not com not commentating on who's right, who's wrong, even though I, I think it's pretty you know, fairly clear. Um, but it is interesting that he has a story ready to go mm -hmm. that makes him sound like the good guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In this scenario. It now, you know, it's it's just fascinating. it's like I you would, I think, have to dig a little bit like if you're just gonna take face value and give the benefit of the doubt. Like, okay, you've got the president of Ukraine who's posting, like, really silly pictures with his kids and, and but also, like, being a strong military leader. Mm -hmm. But then you also got Putin, who, like, you typically think of as a, you know, you know, a, a bad guy or whatever. But he tells this story that actually sounds kind of compelling. And so it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of like to be a good steward of the information, you almost do need to dig before taking a, a position oh, yeah, because they're, you know, it's interesting. It's it, it, it's like, I, I now I heard, it's like, I've heard a lot of people say, and I'm just, I'm not defending the guy, but I've heard a lot of people say he's obviously just making this up. Well, I'm just going to be completely honest because I'm not, I don't know what some of these people know. It's not that obvious to me. Now, oh, no, no, I'm not saying he's doing the right thing by invading Ukraine. Please don't get me wrong. What I am saying is I don't, I don't know that his story's not true just because you tell me that it's not right. So. Yeah, absolutely. If it's the, like what you said, obviously, you know, evading Ukraine bad. Um, what, right. what motivation he has from his story, what parts of it are true, what type of presence it like, is there a conflict that should be resolved other ways? Like it's always worth looking into things. Cause I don't, I don't know the history of Ukraine. Like I feel like people so often on, I wouldn't even say their size in this situation, just people so often will get their clip from CNN or Fox news and say, oh, this is bad because this happened this year and this happened and they just learned facts really quickly. But man, I don't know the history of Ukraine and like, I'm just, right. I'm, and it's just, you know, it's worth learning and reading and then learning for the future. So we don't repeat history and we understand And Another interesting thing, cause this hasn't happened before is like, we have reporters over by Putin and they'll like interview him and say, Hey, what's your update for the day? And so it's weird seeing. I, the quote unquote, you know, enemy, which I guess that's a kind of fair view to see Putin right now, but we still have access to him. And it's like, oh, this is what he's telling our reporters. It's, it's weird. Right. Well, weird. No, it is because you almost picture like, you know, you think about these big names in the past, like 
Stalin and Mussolini and these people like this who are like are have been the bad guys in history. And you sort of think of them as being these like blocked off, isolated, mastermind yeah. type people hiding in a military bunk bunker that like the people actually doing the work are like whatever, twenty-six degrees of military <laughs> power away from him. Versus the age we live in now, everybody's got a Twitter account. Right? The leader of the right, the leader of the free world, you know, Donald Trump, he was banned off of Twitter, of course, but like he was giving daily updates direct from him to the people of, hey, this is what's going on on it's, a daily basis. And it, before that, it had really never been done that way before. He, he broke that barrier. I, and I know. The world is just crazy. I know how to, how I picture it now. It's almost like watching. It's almost like watching two people play a real time strategy game and just watch yes. the other person. Because not only just from the interviews, but like we have satellite images. Like we know what's happening. Like in World War II, I know we also. I know we like we flew planes over areas and we were able to gather intel. But we fooled people with fake balloon tanks in World War II. Like right. I mean, right. now it's just. I guess maybe you could try to set up something like that. But now it's. We know what's happening. It's day by day. I read it. It says, oh, here's how many miles of forces Russia's taking in here. Here's where it is. It's literally like I'm watching a video game unfold before my eyes. Well, so, it, so weird. You no, know, it doesn't help. Like, like, in a sense, though, um, I think it's a good thing. Uh, let me qualify that a little bit. There was a statement that, so Donald Trump went on Fox. I have mm -hmm. not watched the interview. I'm caveating. Mm -hmm. I have not watched the interview. Okay. Donald Trump appeared on Fox to comment on the situation. Yeah. And he made a comment, something to the degree, apparently, of Putin is a genius. Okay. Now, okay. Now, listen. It, it, I searched because I wanted to see what he actually said. Um, or I, I guess I wanted to see somebody report somewhat accurately what he actually said. And I promise you, I scrolled through two pages of Google headlines that were nothing but a very clear implication that Donald Trump praised Putin for invading the Ukraine. <laughs> yeah, I saw that, yeah. Okay. Now, that is what we call spin. S-P-I-N, spin. That is, that is spin. Okay, and I actually recorded my, my episode of the Islander podcast today was about philosophy and, and making distinctions and, and carefully looking at what somebody says. If you've spent three seconds with anything that, that Donald Trump has said or wrote, you cannot honestly think that he actually thinks that Putin doing what he did is a good idea. No, Donald Trump is a businessman who understands business. And so he looks into that situation and understands objectively in the situation and i agree with him by the way that the maneuver so insofar as the maneuver is twofold number one putin taking advantage of the situation because sanctions and things were lifted we stopped building the pipeline etc from a business country political world domination perspective putin moved in at the right time to reassemble his forces and do what he needed to accomplish in order to get his, his stuff done and number two that he, is, he has created a story world. He has created a narrative, right? That is, that is conflicting. In those two things, he did genius business and marketing work. And so that's what Trump is saying. 
right now well, again you know that's just because that's how he thinks right well, so you, there's a difference well do you remember what i said i forget which episode this was i said something along the lines of realistic characters when writing fiction where i'm an accountant i'm a finance guy when i go into a plant and i step when i step out into the plant that i work at I think, okay, which capital project are we working on? How much money have we spent on it now? How much is that scrap going to cost us that came off from this item? I think in terms of money and how stuff is made like that and how it affects our bottom line. An engineer walking into a situation is going to, I I walked out with maintenance guys plenty of times and they are automatically looking at things that need to be fixed. Why is this not working this way? It's just exactly. a different mindset. You, exactly. you, have, you have a human activist who... Um, is looking to take care of other people. And that's like their full-time thing. They're passionate about it. Their first reaction to what's happening um, when they see Russia invading Ukraine, they're going to think, oh my gosh, think of the children's at the orphanages thinking about this. Right. And that's their perspective. And then Trump's looking at it from, oh, wow, here Russia's invading Ukraine. Putin hasn't done anything for a while. Let's see the reason why he's doing this. Ah, oh, that's smart that he set up that. That's kind of a genius way of doing it. So it's just a matter of perspective. Like, right. Different, and it's just. Well, right. And so that's, that's the interesting thing about it is like, I'm not a, I was never like a Trump trading guy, but I mean, I'm, mm -hmm. I, I'm not going to lie. I'm politically conservative. I'll say right now, you know, this is not the uh, official view of the Shore World podcast or any other hosts or affiliates or whatever. Um, but Steve Schramm thinks that we would be doing a lot better right now, potentially not even have a, this whole conflict if Donald Trump was still in office. And I can say that because I literally watched a 10 minute interview of Trump at the table doing business because politics is just business to, to guard against this sort of thing happening in the future, the future being now. Right. So this was in the past. And so I'm like, I'm like, like I can objectively look at that and say, yeah, he, he, he understands the genius of this move, but because he knew that that was the move that was going to happen, he would have taken the steps or continued along the the pathway of continuing to build the pipeline so we don't have the dependence, continuing to pressure them with sanctions so that they can't get by for so cheap. And this whole thing probably would not have happened. So again, we can't talk in terms of should have, could have, would have. Um, but it's so interesting to see that how somebody looks at the situation. And so the media looks at the situation and what they see is another opportunity to dish on Donald Trump. And so boom, so there it is. So anybody who's in their echo chamber, a little news media, is going to go and just be more entrenched in their belief and actually start to think a crazy thing like Donald Trump thinks what Putin did was a great idea. And it's, it's just not the reality. Unfortunately, I think, um, man, I think that today with the open forum podcast and with people, you see a lot more people talking together that have different views. And I think a lot of that's going yeah. away. The Fox News, CNN, and just doing the same talking point yeah no over and it, i think it's going it's getting it. old and i think once the baby boomers go i think you might see those programs actually go like forever i i think that's yeah a i hope so yeah i really do hope so i think we it'll do. be better for the public conversation let me wrap up uh say yeah. say bye uh we went on a tangent there yeah but that was fun go for it <laughs> yeah so sorry uh no that was fun uh, so I have two quick ones. So um, number one is uh, Michael and Bruce Buffer. So thanks to Alex <laughs> for the beginning of the UFC. Uh, never really cared much for the. I would never get in a ring and fight like whatever. But but I do. I appreciate the gamesmanship of it. I appreciate the hype and the. I think I think it's just cool, right, to watch. Mm -hmm. And so I love the. Um, <laughs> I love the announcer. You know who doesn't love the announcer? His name is Bruce Buffer, and I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. 
when I found out the story that like the famous boxing guy, like like the let's get ready to roll <laughs> that guy, that guy is the UFC announcer guy's brother. And they didn't even meet until Bruce uh was like 30 or something and Michael was like 50 something. It turned out they're half brothers. They have the same dad and different moms. And totally ended up basically doing the same thing. What a weird thing. And, and, right. And, and totally separately. They had no clue. There was no logical connection. But separately be ended up being the like again, yeah, the, the staple announcers for both of these huge related, you know, uh public sports fighting industries. So I thought that was really, really neat. Yeah. Um and just hearing him talk about like, you know, I mean he's like he reads a lot of the same personal development authors as me, Bruce does. And like just hearing him talk about his passion for what he does and, and why why he does it and some of the some of the things that he does. Um to help hype it up and to really make it a performance. It was just cool. Um, and the other thing uh, is, is just a really like super duper quick one is that I was, um, so I'm a voracious reader. I used to not be, I used to not read hardly ever at all. And I mentioned that in 2015, I started reading actually the first book I ever read was a weight loss book. Uh, the first book I ever voluntarily read, let me put it that way, uh, was a weight loss uh, book. On uh, called the new Atkins uh, for a new you, and uh, it was all about the Atkins diet and how to use a low carb, high fat diet to lose weight and uh, and, and maintain optimal health. And so I feel like like I have read like that was before I was into apologetics or whatever. I just feel like I've just read hundreds and hundreds of books. And I was looking, I got a new Kindle today, so I was like, playing around with some of the reading insights and stuff. And I decided to sort of you know take inventory and based on so I have hard ish data on most of the digital stuff and less concrete data um, on the physical stuff, but it's, it's, a, it's an average. And I just, I just found this, uh, these, some of these stats to be interesting. So since I have been a reader, so 2015, 2016, um, on Kindle, I've only read 87 books. I say only, I shouldn't say only, because it is a lot. I mean, a lot of people don't read eight books, but like I've read 87 books. Um, in that time, I've read maybe 10 physical books, maybe 10 to 15 physical books, to be generous. 42 that I have finished on Audible, some others that I've started. Um, most of these, I'm not most of these, not most of these. A few of them I've read multiple times. Russell Brunson's books, I've, I've legitimately read each one of those, his trilogy six times, I think. Um, and um, so next time I read them, it'll be my seventh. So a lot, right? So Tactics, I've read Tactics three times. Um the Big Leap, that's one I read probably three times. Right? So many of these I have read multiple times in an attempt to sort of master uh, what I teach. So that's approximately, approximately 150 books in six years. Okay. Most, again, nonfiction, 150 nonfiction books in six years. And so on the one hand, I'm like, holy crap, for somebody who never considered himself a reader, like that's a lot because the average book I read is like 200 to 300 words um, or excuse me. Pages, 200 to 300 pages, which is like 60 to 80,000 words. Um, that's a lot. So I was like, okay. Well, at the same time, right. though. I, Brandon Sanderson just laughed in 1,200 page language. I, I know. It's, I know. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. <laughs> well, so that's what I'll, that's one end of it, right? Where I'm like, like, gee, it's like, it doesn't really feel like, I sort of feel like I've read hundreds of books. Like, I'm a voracious reader now. I'm reading all the time. And I'm like, I've learned so much and I've applied so much. I'm like, gosh, it feels like I've read hundreds of books. 
but but I've only read about 150 in that time. I get this now. I I own roughly <laughs> 672 books. Wow, four. <laughs> 455 Kindle books, 117 audiobooks on Audible. So I actually have probably another 12 or 13 to make that about 130 on on uh, Apple's iBooks. So, and then roughly 100 physical, which I honestly probably have more. So like I've read, roughly speaking, like I feel like I've, I've had a lifetime of reading and I've learned so much, implemented so much, and grown a business, and like changed my worldview in terms of like ministry and being able to defend my faith and all of that. And I've still only read a quarter of the books that I actually own. And I'm just like, reading, Steve. Isn't that, what are you even doing? Like, I just, I don't know. I feel like it's been crazy. Like, what? Like, it, it, it's actually really cool for me. It makes me feel like, what am I? What like, what is my life going to look like after I read the next quarter of my library? You know, like it's just yeah. anyway. It's really fascinating to think of how much opportunity there still is and how much I don't know, even after how much I read and how much I, I do know. And for the record, and I'll, I'll end with this. I mean, this I don't say this in a prideful way. I say this in a other people ask me, how are you like such a genius? Like, because I have a I have I have a pretty fair amount of knowledge in a wide array of subject matter. Uh, and it's like, how do you know all this or whatever? And it's like. Like the fact that you could be that educated just reading 150 books is cool. And it makes me think like more people need to be doing it. So you should read. If you what, listen to the Story World podcast, you probably already do. So anyway, that's that's that. Those are my stories of the week. It's funny how just different minds, like you and I have a lot of the same interests and we're geared towards the same thing. But whereas you have really studied thoroughly a lot of different subjects and can really participate fairly knowledgeably in any conversations going on. There are so many conversations that I just didn't listen because I have no idea what people are talking about. People who, like, for instance, um, just like thinking about um, like popular gospel bands or preachers, people throw out names like, oh, yeah, that there's this guy. And I just, I probably heard the name a hundred times, but I just don't know about him or when it comes to certain things. But it's, if it's one of the half a dozen topics that I love, man, I can talk about it for hours. But other than that, I just don't care. Well, I care to listen, but I don't care to invest any time in just kind of funny, the different just scope that we, we have in our lives. Yeah. 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 Well, it's like, you know, and so you could like, I just pulled a kind of like I did earlier with the memories. I just pulled out a random fact, right? Somebody might yeah. think it's useless novice, but like, it drives me crazy when somebody says something like, like when a Christian says, oh, that's good karma. And I'm like, do you know what karma is? Actually, <laughs> karma is directly yeah. tied to the kind of life. Like it says that when you get reincarnated, you will live the kind of life through this other person. Like like that, the kind of deeds that you did, if you did bad deeds in this life, in that next life, you will receive the recompense for doing those bad mm -hmm. deeds in that life after you get reincarnated. So I'm like, what the frick? Why don't you know about, you know, you know <laughs> totally random fact that I pulled out of nowhere, but it's like, yeah, I can participate in that conversation when a Christian says, oh, that's bad karma. I'm like, well, no, it's okay. That's just yeah. one example. It's just like hundreds of random things. And I'm like, I, I used to, I used to sit around literally everywhere and eat Cheetos. Serious. I'm being dead serious. Yeah. You could be at work. I mean, I'm, I'm inviting myself. My wife would go to work, work hard. And and I would be at home, like lazy, waiting for the next game to go play or whatever. But like I would be at home eating Cheetos on the couch in my underwear. Uh oh, we lost Steve. 
Steve, Steve. We were just getting to the good part too. Underwear on the couch. Uh, I think this can only go sideways from here. Oh, there you are. That was such an unfortunate time to, to, to leave out. I'm going to literally, I'm going to leave, I'm not going to cut or edit anything. I was, gonna leave I was telling that. everybody that we were just getting to the good part and with Steve on the couch's underwear can only go sideways from here. Anyway, so I, so I, now, so I'm gonna have now, forever. now but, you're a guy on the couch eating Cheetos with a Kindle. That's exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> right. So it's, All right, it's interesting how books can change you. I'm a completely different person today, largely because of. Reading, honest to goodness, largely yeah, because of reading. Absolutely. Makes a big well, difference. hey, this was a great podcast. This was a great show. Um, it was. I love it. I'm so sorry. What I've kind of been liking is uh, we kind of have a topic, but I've actually been really liking that we kind of run into different areas and aspects and just be ourselves and so not pigeonhole ourselves into a specific thing that we have. You know, um, I just have to say, like, I understand, like, these tangents and the rambling and, and all of this and then and the two hour long podcast like i understand that's not for everybody and uh it probably should be the norm like we should probably cut it back but I, I do just have to say like good dialogue and clear dialogue about important issues is so rare that i almost hate any any chance that you actually get to have it i feel like it's a waste if you don't right and so talking about this stuff like the joe rogans of the world and the people like that who are willing to give a platform to a broad range of ideas and not just simply bow down to people's talking points. Um, you and I are similar in worldview, of course, but we're able to talk very frankly and very broadly about these things. And so, yeah, it makes for a long podcast episode every once in a while, but I frankly think it's good. And I think it's encouraging a, a, a culture of dialogue that needs to be had. And I'm happy to be just a small part of it. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Maybe sometimes, again, we kind of have similar worldviews, although it, it's funny. We, even though we haven't really talked about much about it here, we also do kind of have different mindsets on on a couple different things, I think. And, and it's funny, this podcast isn't really geared towards digging deep into subjects to be argumentative and deep philosophical. It's more story related, but I'm sure that there's going to be tons of topics brought up in the future that we'll dive down deep into and see how it goes. For sure. All right, Steve. Well, hey, you have Bye. a good week, my friend, and a good rest of your night. Well, morning now. It is 12 in the morning, so. It is. <laughs> it is. All right, man. God bless. Yep. See ya.